I'm Sheila Hamilton. Welcome back to Beyond Wealth. If you're joining us today, Dr. Christine Gibson is a new expert on the Beyond Wealth team. She has a background in justice work, medical education, and global health. You can also find her over on TikTok as the TikTok Trauma Doc. And the new book that we're discussing is the Modern Trauma Toolkit. Um, Dr. Gibson, it, it feels to me, honestly, like so many people are now aware of trauma that we might we might miss this opportunity to really train people about what to do with the trauma if we're so focused on what the trauma did. Are you at all concerned about that as I am? Uh, no, it's funny. And I don't know why I'm not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, can see, I can see as you say yeah. the words, um, it makes sense that that's a possibility. But I'm just happy we're finally recognizing it. I mean, I went through medical training and I did hospital-based practice for 16 years where I learned to ignore the signals within my body to eat, to go to the bathroom and to sleep. Mm. Like I just pretended I didn't have a human body for these like 30 some hour shifts. Yeah. The amount that we've learned to dissociate is tremendous. I mean, people even dissociate with TikTok. What I feel hopeful about is we're finally having the conversation. We're finally recognizing the trauma we have been facing. We're finally talking about intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly worse in black communities and indigenous communities. But when I started looking into my background as a person of Scottish and Ukrainian origin, wow, like there was a ton of intergenerational ancestral trauma there. And when I was thinking about how I show up in the world, it was so amazing to start unpacking that. So I'm just excited that we're at a time that it's at least a part of the dialogue because 20 years ago, you just didn't hear, hear people talking about it. And that's when people like Bessel van der Kolk and Gabor Mate were starting to have those conversations and now people are really ready to listen. So I'm just thrilled about that. And I'm also excited to awaken the medical community to this because it solves a lot of our problems. Like we're all sick and cynical about the revolving door of illness. What if we could interrupt that revolution at its cause? This to me is just so exciting. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what you just said. You are in a profession, a helping profession that is well regarded as being one of the most um, kind of well balanced and and awake professions there is and you describe your own disassociation with having to put yourself in a safe place to protect your brain and your body to endure what you were going through how common do you think it is that other professionals would recognize what you said because i certainly did as a young reporter i was majorly good at disassociation of yeah. seeing trauma, of not reacting to it, of not reacting to the lack of sleep. Um, so how much of a conversation like this is going on in corporations where people are really being traumatized by their work? It's becoming more common. So do I think it's happening on the daily? No. But when, you know, Google's Aristotle project proved that psychological safety was the number one factor for success of a team. People started to really wake up and say, well, what is psychological safety? How can we get that? Um, And psychological safety is something that 
we don't have really good policies and precedents around it in workplace environments, in family, in schools. And I think the more aware the leaders are that are able to implement these kinds of changes, human resource leaders, the, the bigger the difference we can make around it. So a group of us, some of whom I met on TikTok, actually, here in Calgary, we've started a program called Safer Spaces Training. And one of the things that we do is we go into workplaces and we talk about trauma. How does it show up in the individual? How does it show up in the team? What kinds of ways do your developmental traumas show up? And we'll do like fun things like role playing. So um what does it mean to be the people pleaser on the team? The one who's like, I've got your coffee in the morning and, oh, I'll do that for you. What does that potentially, you know, share about the, the way that your belief system is about the world and your place in it? And is that a path towards burnout and resentment? Yeah. We have these bigger conversations with the premise of safety established first, but I think until we have these bigger conversations about how we're showing up and not just the trauma, but the the impact that these relationships have on, on, on us because we spend so much of our days in these environments. It's, it's in the family system. It's in the workplace systems. And the great resignation, I think, was an excellent um, canary in the coal mine to say, hey, you know, why were people just it didn't take much for them to say, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. And why were they just hanging on by their fingernails? And what could we be doing differently so that we could establish psychological safety and at least do our best? So do I think that the medical culture is ready for this change? No. Mm -hmm. But do I think that more and more of us are having the conversation and those of us having conversations are gaining more leadership, you know, leverage, yeah. privilege. Hopefully, I, I'm definitely seeing that. I, I'm curious where you stand on the number of managers that I hear from that just say, I am so tired of having to deal with people's mental health now. I'm so tired of hearing their traumas. I, I have so much on my plate already as a manager just to make the quarter, just to make shareholders happy. And now I've been given all this additional duty that I'm not really trained for. How do you respond to those people? Well, it's interesting. One of the things that kind of catalyzed our starting this company was listening to Brene Brown. One of her podcasts was interviewing both Adam Grant and Simon Siddick at the same time. And they said that the thing that they're hearing from CEOs and these leaders is that trauma is on everyone's lips right now and and that they are having to deal with emotional dysregulation and these things that they're not trained to to manage so like emotional dysregulation is something that happens in an individual body but it has so many repercussions on a team environment and especially a public facing workplace if you're dealing with clients and you've got emotional dysregulation on either end of that and nobody knows what to do i mean the amount that that can escalate and turn into huge problems is tremendous so I really do think that psychological safety and emotional regulation is something that we should start teaching in schools. (laughs) You know, this is something that we have to start in really young ages, give everyone that skill set. So are these older generations going to believe that they need the skill set? 
Some will, but I think we have to start at the really, really young folks and say, these are skill sets that are absolutely essential to being human in the world and let that trickle upwards as they age. And then allowing, you know, the companies that are ready for this conversation and to try to figure out what is possible, because you're right, like the managers are not going to be experts in emotional dysregulation, but what would it look like to build the capacity within your workplace? So peer-based coaching, um, to implement some policies and scheduling around psychological safety, it's actually possible. And I think because of their own overwhelm, when they're dealing with these things that they aren't ready, prepared to deal with, it triggers their own emotional dysregulation. So then it just snowballs. Yeah, I I, I really, it's so funny um, just to speak with you because we're doing the same thing in, in different countries, right? Is Canada any better at this than the United States? Is there any, do, do people feel like they have been more interested in uh, emotional endurance or resilience training than we have here in the U.S.? Well, and our company actually is global. So we we work all, anywhere. I, I would say we've had as much interaction with American companies as Canadians. Oh, it helps yeah. me. It helps me answer that question. Yeah. Um, I do think that both countries are facing similar um, issues and the, the biggest one is actually polarity. So people are really quick to polarize, whether it's public health issues, whether it's politics, whether it's, um, you know, sometimes if you want to talk about mental health, there's a certain personality who's just going to say, well, you're just weak you need to just suck it up and don't be such a snowflake. Mm -hmm. So that kind of a company exists anywhere in the world and you're not really going to get very far with it. When we, when we look at lifestyle medicine and behavior change, one of the models that we can use is Prochanska's, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Um, They use stages (laughs) of change model, Prochanska, I think. And it's pre-contemplative, you know, contemplative planning, maintenance, like what are the different stages you're at with being aware of the problem, being ready to do something about it? And I think if you took an international approach to who's ready to face this problem, you'd probably get a really similar breakdown of who's doing what. I I mean, maybe a country like Iceland, um, New Zealand, places where we've seen really strong female leadership and a really different approach to um, reconciliation, reparation, dealing with inequity, which I think is the root of a lot of this, they might have better policies, but I I can't say I've had a lot of experience with it. Can we talk a little bit about the things that people do in their lives that they think are just part of their personalities that are actually as a result of trauma? You know, people who consistently solve problems on their own. They don't ask for a lot of help or actually in a trauma response. People pleasers tend to have gone through a lot of trauma. Do you believe in these little snippets of this really is a trauma response? It's a tricky question because I do think you have to be careful with who, um, who is putting the information out there. So on TikTok, there are a ton of psychologists, social, clinical social workers, people who have lived experience and really done good research into what trauma is. 
And then you get a lot of people who are just looking for clickbait and they want to say something kind of controversial and they'll put something out there that anybody could relate to. Like anyone who's burnt their eggs at breakfast, that's trauma. Oh my gosh, that happened to me. So you end up getting people who are just looking for views. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty easy to differentiate between those two, but it's controversial. Like there is a lot of misinformation on TikTok. Both of those ones that you described are actually really well fitted within a model called NARM or the neuroaffective relational model, which is one of my favorite ways to address developmental trauma. And it's basically saying there are parts of us and it's not a parts model. It's, it's not talking specifically about the parts, but it's, it's saying that within each of us, there is a desire for connection and there's a fear of connection. There's a desire for authenticity and there's a fear of authenticity and people pleasers are the ones who are really fearing authenticity and they're not going to show up in an authentic way. They're just going to put a smile on their face in hopes that everyone likes them because their greater fear is rejection and abandonment. So they're going to go deeper into that lack of authenticity in the hopes of preserving connection. And in that tug of war, this is what's winning. So I could tell you from a psychological theory perspective why people pleasing is potentially a trauma response. Is that true of everybody? Probably not. But if I'm looking at that NARM model, it's at least a question worth asking. Wow. So if, if you can go to the model and find why that's the case, then yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of valid information on there. What are some of the other things that you're bound to find that you've written on the Modern Trauma Toolkit? I mean, I, I was willing to talk about psychedelics. I think a lot of physicians... Uh, we'll really, do a whole half hour on that. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> um, so I, I get a little bit into my own experiences, but I have to be careful um, just with some of the things that I say. But I, I think you, you'll learn about some of the things that not everyone wants to talk about. So um, I'm willing to talk about ableism and the medical community and how much harm that causes and I mean I have a lot of shame around that and my own complicity in it but then I'm also talking about like we are all deeply complicit in these systems if we just kind of shy away from these conversations and admitting our own wrongdoing and our own you know culpability we're never going to get better at all so looking at the shadows within systems also means looking at the shadows within ourselves and so i was really willing to shine a light in some pretty dark places love it um, oh i can't wait i wish i had it right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then i guess the other thing is um just being playful with it so i have a whole chapter on creativity things like asmr like what kinds of sounds are really you know juicy for you i've got lots of audio recordings there's a qr code on the book where you can go into videos and audio recordings so you can learn things like havening tapping Love tremoring it. things your body already knows how to do but it releases stress and tension it releases your sympathetic tone and it just helps you, your body process the trauma of the day. This is the kind of tools that I think we should be teaching every human. So when they were asking me the demographics for my book, I'm like, well, my TikTok audience is mostly young women, but 
frankly, every human would benefit from this. They're like, that's not a demographic. Yeah. <laughs> I am so delighted that you have decided to share some of the information on our platform at Beyond Well. And I think that you are going to enjoy some of the topics that we take up because I want to do a deep dive into psychedelics all of the limp removal of the toxins that build up in our bodies with you. Thanks again for being with us. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Sheila. I look forward to that too.